0: What you are about to listen to is a work of imagination, but not fantasy, set in the year 2050.
1: Dark clouds fill the sky, and rain begins to fall at the port of Los Angeles. Captain Karan Sharma stands on board the Skyron, a thousand foot long container ship bound for India.
2: The autonomous cranes loading containers are taking a bit longer than usual, but the ammonia fueling is right on schedule. I wonder how this
1: will affect my efficiency ratings. Captain Sharma pulls out a small handheld device that emits a holographic projection of a video game scoreboard. Uh, Looks like Old Thunder 1851 overtook me in the rankings. Dropped
2: from 5th to 6th in Green Ship 50.
1: A message interrupts Captain Sharma's scoreboard projection. Hmm. what's this?
2: Uh, looks like there's a low pressure system on our route, Hurricane Tallulah. Uh, doesn't seem like mother nature will be on my side for this voyage.
1: In this episode, Captain Sharma will provide us with a behind the scenes look into container shipping today in 2050 we'll explore how the industry has transformed by harnessing the power of the wind, using sustainable fuels and optimizing supply chains. I'm your host, Mutinta Banda, and you're listening to Climate Vision 2050.
0: Transparency regulations are transforming freight operations. Harnessing wind power has propelled shipping sustainability efforts in 2037. Three hurricanes have ripped across the Atlantic in 2049, delaying many vessels.
1: Captain Sharma walks along the deck of the Skiron and stops to look out over the port of Los Angeles. He takes a swig of his coffee. The electric bow thrusters automated manoeuvring devices begin to move the ship away from the port side. Ah, I love the taste of coffee combined with the salty sea air.
2: I worked my way up through the ranks to become a captain over the past 15 or so years. All the time away at sea means I haven't been able to start a family. One day I may take a land position, get married, start a family. The company set up a game for us, Green Ship 50. The goal is to maximize one's efficiency on the job, the total fuel used as well as time to destination. Captains compete with each other for a top five spot that gets you a sweet year-end bonus and two
1: extra weeks off paid leave. Captain Sharma makes his way toward the bridge of the ship where the central control system is located. In my
2: role, I have to be alert in case of emergencies or repairs that can't be done by robots. Now, this trip is just me and my first mate, Anna. She mostly keeps to herself, or maybe I do.
1: Captain Sharma sits at the bridge of the ship, surrounded by computers, equipment, and holographic projections mapping the voyage as he recedes from the port side.
2: Those huge chimney-like structures on some of the ships out there are called Flettner rotors. They harness wind power. Some ships also have kites that are deployed on the front to pull ships forward. On this ship, if I press this button, four large sails, each 100 feet high, about the size of a 10-story building, are starting to be deployed. These will help speed up and cut down the amount of fuel we need. Bringing me closer and closer to that top five spot and prize. Here comes Anna for the briefing. We'll need to discuss the best route to avoid Hurricane Tallulah.
1: Back in the 2020s, shipping was emitting approximately one gigaton of greenhouse gases every year, roughly similar to the total emissions of Germany. The path to decarbonize shipping led to new opportunities. Peter Jameson is a BCG partner and sustainable shipping expert.
3: The way that I got into the maritime industry and to the decarbonisation topic specifically is my past actually serving in the Royal Navy. I worked in the submarine service, which meant I spent a lot of my time underwater being propelled by actually a zero-carbon solution, that being a nuclear power reactor. And I now find myself helping the maritime industry move the rest of its ships and submarines and fleet to a zero carbon future.
1: Peter has worked through challenges with stakeholders in the shipping sector to meet their climate and sustainability goals for 2050.
3: The maritime industry has really overcome two big buckets of challenges, one being the technology challenge and the other being what I describe as the people challenge. On the technology challenge, Those things that have been overcome really relate to how you use zero carbon fuels. So technology is one big bucket. The other big bucket is the people part of it. And when I talk about people, I'm really talking about how governments, politicians, and even end consumers have contributed to the transition that's taken place.
1: It was estimated that $2.4 trillion was needed to achieve net zero emissions in shipping by 2050. Reaching this important milestone was a complex business and economic challenge. As the climate crisis became increasingly evident, many people joined the fight to reduce emissions and protect our environment. Vayig Abasov dedicated himself to this path.
4: My name is Vaig Abbasov. I work for a Brussels-based environmental organization called Transporting Environment. And our main objective is to render the transport sector safe and sustainable. And I like the challenging aspect of it, and that it's not easy to fix, it's difficult to fix. And I like this aspect quite a lot.
1: For Fayeg, the lack of transparency made it an especially difficult sector to make more sustainable.
4: We had a lot of hurdles along the way, and the biggest hurdle to my mind um, was a fairly simple one, and that was the concern about the ownership of emissions. Shipping was and is still sailing internationally, and there was a big question, given that those emissions take place on the high seas, the territories that did not belong to anyone, still do not belong to anyone, who should be responsible for tackling those emissions?
1: Countries needed to take responsibility for their share of shipping emissions. And once this problem started to be addressed, it unlocked new possibilities.
4: It created an incentive, both for the national authorities as well as the new technology providers, to start finding solutions to address those emissions.
1: Today in 2050, the majority of world trade is still carried by ships. But the types of goods have changed dramatically we see far fewer ships transporting coal or oil, and fewer oil spills than ever before. We see shipping of alternative proteins from areas that have access to abundant renewable energy, such as Africa and South America, increasing. On board the Skiron, Captain Sharma sits at the bridge and pulls up the Green Ship 50 projection. I'm in eighth now in the rankings.
2: My top five spot is becoming a distant memory. Anna and I are taking turns overseeing as we maneuver around Hurricane Tallulah's path. And the computer is suggesting a variety of slight variations, 10 degrees this way or that, to try to avoid the worst of the storm. The system here connects to the cloud and looks at all the data sources, what other vessels are doing, the directions of the tides and waves, the speed and direction of wind, and maximizes the safety and efficiency of the vessel based on these slight changes. Uh, seems like Tallulah is quite unpredictable. But hopefully we'll be able to avoid the worst of her.
1: One of the most drastic changes to the shipping industry is that it is far more autonomous today in 2050 than ever before. Container ships in the 2020s would have 10 to 20 people on board. Now they usually have three people or fewer. Ports operate with very few human personnel at all. Renewable energy powers all of the autonomous robots at ports and provides
3: shore power. What some of the ports have done have started to actually put up wind turbines around the port area and really utilize the land that they have. There are are, also other certain parts of the world that are are basked in a lot of sunshine, and therefore some shipping ports have started to put up and start using solar energy as a source of their own energy. And the reason that they want this is not just to move the cranes and move the robots that they have operating, but they also want to be able to allow the ships to plug into an energy source.
1: The wind does not just function as a renewable energy source for port operations but has also become a powerful force to propel ships we see on the seas today.
3: So some people laugh when they look at the maritime industry in 2050 because to a certain extent, it's almost like it was 200 years ago when ships were sailing around using natural resources. So sales on ships that we saw 200 years ago are suddenly now being used on ships in 2050 because actually the cheapest and the most efficient kind of fuel to use or energy to consume is that that comes from natural resources like wind. So there's been almost a full circle here to the use of propulsions in the maritime industry.
1: But wind isn't a perfect solution and it wasn't enough on its own to transform this industry.
3: One of the key challenges of course with using wind is the direction at which the wind is blowing and that's not always in the same direction of which the ship is able to go. The other challenges. is what space are you taking away from this ship? Particularly if you've got a container uh, vessel, for example, will these sails start taking away the space that containers would normally sit in? So these sails can't fit on every single type of vessel. One of the benefits of wind technologies that are being
1: used on ships today is that they are all autonomous, as Faig explains.
4: Today's wind technologies don't need to be manually operated. It's, it's basically a push of a button they can uh, deploy themselves and retract automatically. When the weather conditions you know, are favorable, they open up. When the weather conditions are not favorable, they can retract.
1: Today, we're seeing more extreme weather conditions impacting the shipping industry. Low-pressure systems affect not only shipping routes, but can also damage port infrastructure. Back on board the Ski Run. Captain Sharma works to battle the storm as he crosses the Atlantic. Sheets of rain hit the window of the bridge. I can hardly see anything in front of me.
2: And Anna should have taken over from me nearly an hour ago. Anna? Anna! Come in, Anna! Look, I know you can hear me. Ah! Caution. Wind speed. Uh, the storm is putting pressure on our sails. I'm going to manually engage the retractable systems and bring them in. They usually retract on their own in these situations. One of them is stuck. It won't start moving back into the vessel. Come on. Come on, come on! silenced. Uh. system shows that a piece of the retractable machinery is broken. I'll make a replacement with a 3D printer on board. But I'll need to go out onto the deck to do the replacement. Hopefully I won't get swept out into the ocean while I'm out there.
0: More biofuel restrictions for maritime vessels last year in 2028. Demand for kites has grown dramatically in 2038 as companies look to harness wind resources. Whale populations are starting to rebound this year as shipping companies have taken care to avoid breeding grounds in
1: 2044. Three main types of wind technologies are being used on ships today. One, as Faiga explains, is kites.
4: So kites are attached to the front, to the bow of the vessel, and it's deployed automatically when there is a favourable wind condition. And it's retracted when the wind is no longer there.
1: These types of wind propulsion are favourable for cargo ships, since they don't take any of the precious space on board. Another way the wind is being harnessed is through Flettner rotors.
4: Flettner rotors, they are cylindrical tubes, basically, attached to the top, to the deck of the vessels. And you can add as many as you want, as long as there is space, obviously, on the deck of the vessel.
1: These Flettner rotors look like huge chimneys and typically extend anywhere from 18 to 35 feet above the ship and harness the wind as it flows around the rotating cylinders.
4: When we're looking at flattener um, Flettner rotors today, they're a bit like telescopes. They can extend when the wind conditions are favorable, and when they are not, they could fold back in and disappear from the deck.
1: Various types of large sails are also used, like the ones on Captain Sharma's vessel. Rigid rectangular sails are particularly popular between European and North American routes across the Atlantic. There is
4: some evidence that uh, rigid sails tend to be more efficient on those routes. As a result, shipping companies that plan to operate on those journeys, on those voyages, and they tend to use wind sails.
1: New ships have been built to cut through the sea with greater ease. Back in the early 2000s, ships were getting wider and wider to fit more containers on board.
4: They were called shoeboxes because of the shape that they they acquired at the time. As the size was increasing and they're becoming wider and wider, and it was getting more and more difficult to push them through water. As a result, they they became very energy
1: efficient. Today, many of these shoeboxes are being decommissioned and recycled to be turned into more energy efficient vessels. Shipbuilders have designed more sleek looking ships that can move through the water using less energy per unit of transport than they did in the past. On the deck of the Skiron, Captain Sharma pulls out the compartment that houses the machinery for the retractable sail system.
2: Just a little left. Ah, alright. The replacement part is in. Back to the bridge.
1: All of a sudden, the sail starts to rip from the pressure of the storm.
2: Ah, ah, no, 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 no. I'm never going to make it to the top five.
1: Captain Sharma runs back to the bridge to engage the retractable system.
2: coming in. Oh, thank goodness.
1: (laughs) Captain Sharma pulls up the Green Ship 50 scoreboard. What? Ten? I've fallen to ten.
2: Anna, I know you heard these messages. If you don't get up here soon, I'll be reporting. You know how that will affect your ratings.
1: Combined with harnessing the wind on vessels today in 2050, zero carbon fuels have decarbonized shipping.
3: When we look back to the 20s, the ships that were sailing on the ocean there were sailing on, on carbon-based fuels, which meant you could easily stand on the shores of the British uh, and the English Channel and see these ships. And you could see them from miles away, not because the ships were big, but because of the plumes of smoke that would be coming out of their funnels. Green fuels don't produce the kind of carbon emissions and toxic emissions which we used to see back in the 2020s.
1: But the transition to green fuels didn't happen overnight, and we saw lots of different types of fuels being used. One of the earliest types was what's known as biofuels, which were fuels manufactured from organic materials and could be used in existing vessel infrastructure. The biggest
4: problem with those fuels was that they had the problem of either sustainability or scalability. Uh, What it means, that some of those biofuels were sustainable, others were not. For example, one of the first biofuels were produced from palm oil, and that led to deforestation. And the policymakers and the shipping companies realized that, and the industry as a whole realized that it's actually doing more damage than good, and it was quickly discontinued.
1: Green fuels that are hydrogen-based, such as ammonia and methanol, are primarily used today. These fuels, when produced from renewable energy resources, can provide zero-carbon solutions for the shipping sector.
3: Ammonia. Many people were really concerned around the toxicity of this fuel. Even a few drops of this could easily poison both people on board, but also the maritime nature around it. But what has happened is some clever scientists have been able to find new ways, new ways of really safeguarding the use of this ammonia fuel.
1: The high toxicity of the fuel also meant that it gave a big incentive not to cheat, so to speak, on the safety standards and regulations. No cutting corners with this type of fuel were possible, without dangerous consequences. Methanol is another zero-carbon fuel solution in use in 2050.
3: We call it e-methanol. That's because it uses hydrogen, a green version of hydrogen, to produce it. So we really see these two fuels now predominating uh, the maritime industry, particularly for the long-haul vessels, because they are so clean and they are so simple to produce.
1: Captain Sharma makes his way to the ship's accommodations for some rest the afternoon after the storm. The weather has finally started to stabilize and Anna has taken over duties on the bridge. While largely automated, these ships still depend on humans in emergencies.
2: Anna finally showed up two hours late. Says she slept in. Yeah, right. Ships used to have large compartments for the accommodation of the crew. Today there are only a few rooms. Now we've got a small gym facility and a kitchen where robots prepare our meals. Now I grab some vegetarian chili before heading down here. <sighs> My little room here may be very small, but it has a zero-gravity bed that makes me feel absolutely weightless and completely unfazed by the pounding of the sea.
1: <sighs>
2: I really should be getting some shut-eye. Still many more days ahead of us. We're not totally out of the storm yet. I'll need to keep my wits about me if I'm ever going to make it back into the top
0: five. for ammonia were tightened last year in 2028 ship recycling is more circular in 2036 as ship parts are increasingly made from old scrap
3: supply chains have been transformed in 2046 as sustainable agricultural practices change the
0: way we move food around the globe
1: back at the crucial and difficult steps the shipping industry took to decarbonize.
3: When the industry took a look at how to really decarbonize this vast and complex network of shipping routes and ships and ports, decades ago they looked at this challenge and asked the question, well, how do we break this down? How do we take that first step to actually that end goal, which is a completely carbon neutral shipping industry? And this great idea and this great term came out of that, and this was this concept of green corridors. And this green corridor was really the idea of having two ports or two countries on the end of a particular shipping route, agreeing on what the future fuel would be, what the rules and regulations might be around it, what the financing might be. And step by step, or more importantly, green corridor by green corridor, these agreements started to take place.
1: Looking back in history, these green corridors are considered to have been a vital first step for nations to decarbonize the sector. Smarter decision-making also played a role. When companies had better data about emissions, they could make smarter decisions about what to ship and how to ship it.
4: Today, shipping is big as well as small. It is more efficient. There is still world trade, and the majority of world trade is still carried by ships. And we transport the things that we actually need to transport. In countries where it was raining 24-7, and they were buying water from far afield, uh, you know, bottled water w- w- was transported um, by ships, and that would um, result in a lot of unnecessary emissions and environmental pollution associated with the sector. Today global trade has changed, and the shipping along with it, and the ships themselves have changed.
0: You've been listening to Climate Vision 2050, a podcast from BCG that explores how the world radically reduced carbon emissions and saved itself from climate catastrophe. An narrator Mutinda Banda is played by Atibo Onan. Captain Karan Sharma is played by Harris Paveiz. You heard from our BCG partner and sustainable shipping expert Peter Jameson and Faig Abasov, director of the shipping program at Transport & Environment. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lower Street, a full-service podcast production agency that creates amazing shows for brands that want great, not good. BCG is a global consulting firm committed to climate and sustainability action. We understand there are many possible futures, and we hope you enjoy our journey through some of them in this series. Learn more about our work on climate and sustainability at bcg.com slash climate.